Well, welcome back to the Miles Driven with me, Miles. And head of stationery, Sam. Head of stationery? Yeah. That's I've got a pen today. That's a promotion from where you usually put yourself, yeah. mate. I've got a pen. There's a bit of paper about it if I need it. You well. were, I'm sure you said you were head of finance at one point. Yeah. Yeah, we need someone to do a lot of Miles Driven well, finance, though. Unfortunately, I've moved on. Have you? Yeah. To the the stationery's taking up a lot of my time now. I am also out of pens. Okay. In, in, in other one. critical news. <laughs> uh, today, we are going to do two subjects but one of them is a little bit small and i'm just going to cover off at the start because i think it was something that people heard in the media uh and it may they may have heard one extreme it's very exciting yeah it is yeah because i haven't said what it is but the main bulk of the podcast as people would have seen the title will be restoration cars and whether they're worthwhile so all your cars <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking a little bit more classic but i suppose they're all getting that one um first off there is there was a news story that has gone around in varying degrees of severity about Switzerland banning electric cars. Oh yeah, I heard about this. Of course, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> everyone's heard about. What did you hear, Sam? Let me just that what... Switzerland are banging, 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 <laughs> banning <yeah. laughs> electric. There might be who knows. <laughs> <laughs> Switzerland are banning and electric cars <laughs> because they are using too much energy. Yeah, which I thought was funny. Which was it's pretty much the whole headline that. Keeps getting put around. What Sweden have actually, uh, sorry, Switzerland have actually said. Sweden are getting involved. Yeah. Switzerland have said there's a three stage process they're going to have to go down to conserve energy because at the minute they don't have, I think they've done their calculations for, you know, severe winter that they, I think, are technically in. I say severe winter, I just mean that it's not a mild winter. They're having the winter they expected. Right. And they've realized that. On the current reserves of energy, they wouldn't have enough to get themselves through comfortably. Which every no country wants to be like. I think we can just about make it through February. Yeah, I think most countries want to be more like we can comfortably make it through to the end of next the year. The problem with electric cars, but this is a, a a wider problem. And and you're right. It is that if we assume that fifty percent of all cars on the road today were to become electric in the next ten years. Unless you have a lot more power being created, and bear in mind we don't really have like worldwide, apart from a few coal plants in India, yeah, uh, there's not like loads and loads of power stations just being built right now that no. are going to be ready and raring to go. There's a few nuclear ones that probably will be going up in ten years or so, but also because people like to use France as an example of that. The problem is with France is that yes, they're building nuclear power plants, but they're building them to replace the ones that are currently existing and will sort of run out of... Right. You can only keep them for so long, I think. Scientists have just con- discovered uh, nuclear fusion, though. I, I, yeah, I saw that news story as well. So we'll all have free energy forever. Free energy forever. In about Problems 100 years. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the issue Switzerland have come up with, they've basically said, look, we're in a situation where we would have to go through a staged process to conserve our energy. Now, they have imports of... Uh, like most European countries, they have imports of oil and gas, uh, but they rely more on different parts of the world. And depending on those relationships, they can get, you know, enough petrol and diesel onto the road. Yeah. If you think, I can't really think actually the last fuel crisis we had, which was actually a shortage. No. As in, I can think of a few where there's been, oh, there's a bit of a supply bottleneck, but as in, you know, Aramco says they're not going to make, you know, they're not going to put out any fuel for the next two years. And everyone's <laughs> like, well, 
uh, I can't. I think like the eighties. Yeah, quite when, like, when there was like signs at petrol yeah. stations and people said, you know, ten liters or mm -hmm. that's all you could have. So part of Switzerland's plan for this is that they have a stage one, stage two, stage three. In stage three, uh, they would stop people charging electric cars. Right. Okay. But stage one's quite mild, and they're probably sort of already kind of there, which is just being sensible, conserving energy, not taking a fifteen-hour shower, you know, and not sort of wastefully using energy. Yeah. Um, okay. I do love whenever we have to conserve energy. It's kind of put out to us from governments and media and stuff that we're all there just like zapping electricity all over the place. Yeah. Like, which... if, if times were good, you could carry on as normal because we all know that you sit there with a fan on and a heater during... A... With the windows <laughs> open. Yeah, exactly. Um, we, could stop, we could stop high streets having their shop front lights on constantly all through the night. You drive through any town yeah. in this country and there'll be estate agents... What else is on high streets these days? Gambling outlets. There won't be any clothes shops. Cause, <laughs> no. So where, what, what you'll have is you'll have... You really advertise where you live badly. It's gambling shops. Where I live, I'm struggling with the country we agents. live in. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll have an estate agent. Then you'll have a Paddy Power. Then Bakery? there'll probably be a Greg's. Yeah. Oh, then, then there'll be another estate agent. Yeah. Some other sort of gambling outlet and a sort of local bakery. So that's sausage like Greg's rolls and houses and, and not quite as good. But if you drive through town yeah. on any given evening from sort of nine, ten o'clock, when they're all closed, even Greg's, even the gambling establishments yeah. are closed at this point, all the lights are still on. You in know the front. Now, I know they'll say, well, oh, it's for security, and then we can see if someone breaks in. And But if we want to save energy, surely we just, they're telling us that we have to turn the lights off at home mm -hmm. if we're not in a room. That's, that's exactly what they're doing. It's like going downstairs, believing all your upstairs lights on. Just for security. Someone might break in. Someone might. Or the cat might want to wander upstairs. Yeah. And I like it to be lit for him because they can't see in the dark. It is actually really interesting what you bring up there. There's two elements to it. One, I remember 10 years ago when I lived in Australia, there was the supermarkets. I, can't, I think it was Coles. When you walked around the supermarket, the lights used to sort of go on and off and follow you. So yes. you, you'd be walking along and like they had a basement level. Mm -hmm. And I always thought the basement level might be shut. Because as you went down... Yeah, it's all done. We've got some car parks like that in this country. Yeah, we have yeah. got car parks like that. But this, I mean, this actually worked fantastically because as you went down the escalator, you were just, it was being lit in front of you. Yeah, and so, it stays on for sort of 10, 15 seconds yeah, behind, behind you, you or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then you would walk down some of the aisles and they would already sort of light up. And then they would stay on... They stayed on for quite a while, like a minute. Yeah. But they would drop off um, if no one was using them. However, the, I think the problem with shop fronts and things like that is that people get worried... If you plunged like a town centre into darkness. Well, that's what, that's what I'm saying. They're, they're on about turning off the streetlights. Mm. Why don't you just turn the shop lights off and leave the streetlights on? Because the streetlights are paid for by taxpayers and the yes, government. But also, I would rather and... keep the streetlights on so when my car gets broken into, I yeah. can see who it was. The, yeah, and the problem they have is that they. So if a business do it, the business has to pay for it. Yeah. If the government do it, you have to pay for it. And so they've got to go, well. Why don't we tell the businesses to, why don't we not have a problem with it? And yeah. then it's like free light that no one has to pay for. But it's just them. a bit disingenuous that they're trying to save the world and save the planet. Oh, definitely. They're doing, they're just doing a bit of showboating. Really. Uh, it was a, just very quick on that point. There was actually an economic study done about 20 years ago that um, I remember it came up as one of my papers when I was at university. And some countries trialed this 
to, to take off streetlights. Yeah. And crime went up by such a large degree. Well, of course it, cost it will. Them more it's obvious. Than, yeah, I know. But you turn the shop lights off and keep the street lights on. I don't understand why that's such a difficult decision to make. Because it's the difference like between you say, private yeah. money and public money. Yeah. That's the problem is that when you ever, whenever you have a private entity and a public entity next to each other and you don't have a conversation that says, look, you know, it's not going to end up fair, but let's just do it so it's like the best for society. Someone goes, that'll affect the share price. Yeah. Or that'll affect taxes. Or I might not get re-elected if that happens. Or, and you go off into this never-never of conversation. Anyway, the point being, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Switzerland do have a plan, and the third part of the plan is to not allow electric cars to charge. But it's not one headline I saw. I'm pretty sure now headlines are just facebook posts well it's all clickbait it's all clickbait yeah like people because putting... you'll see that i don't know if you've noticed uh, i've noticed it on a lot of stuff but mainly i mean mainly the stuff i follow on twitter and stuff is football related is it so it'll be <laughs> <laughs> or formula one or, or whatever sport yeah. but it'll be there'll be the headline so i'll take for example something that's happened recently which is where the england manager is supposed to be staying on in this job so the headline is that Southgate is going to remain at the helm. And then you have to click on the comments and then it says full story here. And then you have to click on that, which takes you a link, which yeah. I'm guessing is affiliated and some earns them some money. Uh, somehow. It's the clicks will show the ad. They can prove to the advertiser that you are an active user. Right. Yeah. But then you get the heroes in the comments that just post the story. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure they get deleted after all. <laughs> yeah. You just but, make the media people very angry. Yeah. The, good. <laughs> the problem with that, actually, just... But, no, but so just to bring it back yes, to what you yes, were saying yeah. is that that's the sensationalist headlines that we go towards that's now which is bringing it back to what you were saying about yeah. switzerland and that's the big problem is that people have, uh, a lot of people you know if you say to someone on the street today if you've listened to this podcast and you say did you hear about switzerland oh yeah i heard they're going to ban electric cars yeah they've already thrown them all in the sea yeah they just put they're landlocked so yeah <laughs> that's exactly that's how far they've gone to get rid of them they're having to airlift they're transporting them to us to sea. sea and throwing them in <laughs> um i think this is the big problem is that you get a headline and it reads to me like a facebook post yeah which is like some lazy journalism yeah and i i guess i guess part of it is because what budget have they got well it gets the clicks yeah but th- I said this to my um, my granddad the other day. I said, uh, it's funny for me because you look at, he's bought the Telegraph. I think it's the Telegraph. He's been buying that paper, well, since he stopped being in short trousers, I think. Mm-hmm. So I've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> so he pays a, a set amount. I can't remember how much paper is like. Say one pound, one pound fifty, let's say. And for that, he gives that organization some money mm-hmm. and they can then pay all their journalists and whatever else to then provide content in a newspaper and it doesn't have to be clicky it doesn't have to be too sensationalist headlines have always been a little bit well they've got to grab your attention they've somehow, got to grab but... you somehow yeah but then once you read into the stories and everything page two onwards doesn't have to be clicky because mm-hmm. you're sold on the headline but now because we get so much of it from social media companies and stuff where people are all just screaming to get attention yeah that's it it's almost you're in a room with a hundred people everybody's yeah. shouting and you've got to get someone to listen to you yeah so you just put headline... a bloke in the middle and say pick someone so if the headline was uh third stage emergency plans for switzerland could restrict electric cars versus switzerland will ban electric cars yeah. You know which one gets the... but And the problem is, most people aren't reading past the headline. Yeah. Electric car cull in Switzerland. Yeah. In Swiss- Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that it's a bit of a... Uh, I, I just... I read it. I heard about it. I looked into it a little bit. And I was like, 
it, because they have a bit of a pro, I would say not a heavy pro EV. They're not Norway. Yeah. You know, that were like basically, they weren't paying people to have EVs, but they mm-hmm. were making it very attractive. Um, but they were making it more attractive through their tax mechanisms to yeah. have an EV. And so that's where the, the story goes that, oh, well, they've told everyone to buy it. And now they're flipping around and telling people they shouldn't have it. And it's not quite that way. It's kind of like, we need to have a plan. This is the plan. It's it's of no surprise to me. And it's why, again, I think we've said on this podcast probably a hundred times now, hybrids still look like the best option. Plug yeah, in, they like would a be, plug yeah. in, either a self-charging or a plug-in, because most people who are doing short journeys could just plug in at home, do their 40-mile commute if it mm-hmm. was up to 40 miles, which is most plug-in range, come home, charge up again. Then they get told, in, in some sort of energy emergency, you can't charge. Okay, fine. I've got... Yeah. There's an engine in the car. I'll use well. the fuel this week. Then. Yeah, you know what I mean? So it kind of... I still think that seems like a really good answer. For people that just want a car, I yeah. know I know the big the big thing that people are against, I think, is the side that you kind of, you don't have double maintenance, but you are bringing in two power sources. Yeah, but you're saving money in the long run by not spending as much on fuel. Yeah, I mean, what, so. and uh, they're cheaper to buy. Mm-hmm. You know, plug-in hybrid versus a fully electric car. So you kind of get a little bit best of both worlds. I think there's a Mercedes that can do... I think it's the C-Class, can do something like 65 miles on okay. a battery. So it, that's really, you know... But it'll switch between both on its own, won't it? So you can force it to just do one if you want. Yeah. But otherwise it will work out what's most efficient. Yeah, so, so that's example, what I'd do. Yeah, like, because part of your commute is coming out of your village. Mm-hmm. That would all be done on electric because it's yeah. just... And then once I get to the country roads and I'm doing 60... And you're doing 60, then it would probably think, well, actually, it's probably a bit more efficient just to use the engine for mm-hmm. this bit of the run. And then if you... Say you got into a bit of traffic on that 60 run and you were sort of going down to 40 and speeding up to 50, going down to 30, then the electric could cut in. Or you could just say, I want to run the whole journey on on electricity. Or you could just tell it. uh, One of the things I really like about some plug-in hybrids, some manufacturers don't do this, and I, I think they, I don't know whether they just haven't thought about it correctly or they've kind of missed the point, is that, Say you're going somewhere long distance and at the end you're going to be in a city. Mm. Most people want to save the battery for the end. Yeah. So like if you were driving from your house, you've come out of sort of the countryside, gone onto a main road, you may say, Well, for all of this I want to be on the engine. And then you're going to go to Birmingham, for example. Mm-hmm. And when you eventually get there, you then say, well, I, I, now I want to use my 50 miles or 40 miles of battery just to go around the city on yeah. silent, you know. So, uh, there's some manufacturers that do that and there's some that don't. I think the ones that allow you to sort of say, I, I know I've got charge, but I don't want to use it. Because, okay, yeah. Because, uh, you know, the car doesn't... I mean, you could put in the nav and then the car could work it out for you and stuff, but you know where you're going. Yeah. Unless, like unless you don't know where you're going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, I just wanted to clear that story up because i think it it's a bit sensationalist and it makes people a little bit worried about you know battery technology at all when actually i think from our point of view we'll still sort of say plug-in hybrid or hybrid is your way to go yeah if if you don't want you know if you're not that into cars but um don't be completely terrified of an electric car and governments <laughs> saying you can't do anything <laughs> yeah. with it because it's 
I think that problem may come to a head, especially if we don't build more power stations. Yes. Because I don't really see where the power comes from. Well, just infinity. Just infinity? Yeah. Just off the moon? Yeah. Yeah. The, Nucle nuclear fusion. Do you know what? Because that worked so well in Spider-Man. If you are ever reading a news story out there and it says that uh, a that the government have hired a consultant to, bring yeah. it, to, to plan out Britain's uh, energy future or any country and that you're in. And he says it'll be fine. And it says they have hired Sam Goodship. Then at that point, you need to go out and buy a classic car with a petrol engine or a diesel engine yeah. and just ignore, <laughs> assume that you'll have a blackout. I could be the best thing. You <laughs> yeah. never know. So off the back of that subject, the main bit of our podcast today, which is restoration cars. So we know that there's a classic car scene. Mm -hmm. yeah, and there's people that like to work on cars, bring them back to their former glory, everything else. Yeah. The question I have is, is it always worth it? So if you've got, um, I'm trying to think of something that would be really, you know, if you've got an old Mercedes um, SL. Okay. One of the Goldwing yep. variants. Probably no matter what condition it's in, it's probably always worth restoring. Yeah. Because it's a, an absolute classic. It's probably worth a million quid. Mm -hmm. um, so even if you have to put half a million quid to, to completely rebuild the car, it's probably always worth it. Yeah. If you had... A mini, you know the classic mini. Yeah. Is it always worth it? Because to the person, probably, yeah. I swear, if it has sentimental, yeah. But I'm talking more about. But who else does it? What the? What re, re um recovers them? Yeah. Well, no. Who else is restoring these cars if they're not? Well, I'm, it's I'm not sorry. I don't mean. I don't mean mini in total. I mean, you know, there's a million minis of yeah. that generation. They're probably to me, all of them are not worth saving. Right, okay. Whereas when we talk about that Goldwing Mercedes, there's probably 50 on the planet, or let's say 200, to be fair to them. Uh, if you found one in the back of a barn, rusted completely through the chassis, you're like, well, there's only a few hundred of these. They're all worth a million quid. It's worth restoring. But is it? Well, if if you... it's completely rusted through the chassis, is there anything left? You just rebuild the chassis. Put a new chassis on it. I so mean, you're basically it, just building a new car then. Yeah, as long as you... This is the funny thing with classics, and I really don't want to say it too loudly, just in case someone's listening who, who hears this and goes, oh, we should really stop that. As long as the VIN number is the same, you can pretty much rebuild the entire car. Yeah, but That's, then you're not restoring a car then. Uh, it goes under the, the umbrella of restoration, although that would be... Well, yeah. you're, you're not, you're producing a new car well you well a little bit of it is originally <laughs> well yeah but number. i could you could you could 3d print a vin number uh, oh yeah but then it's not legal yes but the point is you're just producing a whole new car if you yeah. if you're if you've got the chassis yeah for example one of our listeners has who did buy a chassis oh yeah of, i think it, it's an austin something yeah he's gonna be shouting it at the current i think it's an austin I'm going to say seven. It's probably wrong. He's probably thinking, why do I talk to Sam? <laughs> I give him this information. He comes onto the podcast. He doesn't remember it. Next time, I'll just tell him. Oh, that's a number. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's been restoring that. That's worth restoring because he's bought a chassis that wasn't just, you know, orange. Right, yeah. But then the Then question... you're restoring a car because that is a car that was just a chassis and you're putting on the original bodywork and putting everything back to how it was. But if he just bought some air... Surrounded yeah. by a, well, a VIN number, surrounded yeah. by air. Yeah. That's not restoring a car. That's producing a car. 
it's a good point, but I suppose That's the correct the, point. The question. Well, <laughs> it, the okay. end. Thanks for listening. <laughs> you, you can't. You, okay, if you just found a chassis number on the floor, I wasn't expecting to be challenged here no, today, were you? Well, I, we've kind of gone off my actual question because <laughs> my question is more about if let, let's say let's use that example that you've just given. Mm-hmm. There'll be thousands and thousands of them, right? Of that car. Yeah. yeah, in varying states, there'll be one that's in someone's garage. It's absolutely a perfect example with four miles on the clock. There'll be one that's in a field upside down somewhere. Is it an Austin Eleven? I don't know. I don't know what the numbers are. Oh, he's he's spitting feathers at you. <laughs> I'm going to Google things because right. I think I know what it should look like. To me, I would say they aren't all worth saving because ultimately, how much are they worth? And how much have you got to spend to well, bring it up to the condition? Question. How much are they worth? If they're worth £25,000, mm. then... And it, well, if it's got, okay, that's the, good, that's the maths. Because some people sentimentally will spend £50,000 restoring a car that will only ever be worth 25000 because it has, you know, it was their uncle's car, it was their granddad's car, it was, you know, some famous person died in it or drove it or whatever else. And so there's, there's, there's more reason... To just the bare metal. Right. I think it's an Austin 7. Austin 7. Okay. So in the example of an Austin 7. But I don't know. I could be completely wrong. Because one of the other things I, I wanted to mention here is that uh, pre-war cars. So there's all the real classics. The one where you had a hand crank on the front. You know, and they are, and they're cartwheels on the side. Yeah. Um, they are starting to sort of get a little bit soft of interest. You know, like they... People who were um, who are older now, but back in 20, 30 years ago, were buying those cars and restoring them. Yeah. Because they reminded them of something, maybe it was their parents, grandparents, whatever, or they remembered them being on the road and they wanted to keep, or they, they felt particularly attached to older vehicles that actually had the history of, of cars as part of them. Now, the values are, are soft, like they're softening up, people that they're dropping in value because. The next generations come along, don't know how to work them, don't know how to really work on them in as great a number as they used to. Yeah. And the interest in a vehicle that can do 25 miles an hour, for example, and has to really sit, well, in a garage covered, it, it's sort of it, it's much less than it was. And so if you True. found a rotten one of those that wasn't beyond the point of, you know, needing a full rebuild, but needed a full restoration would it be worth it okay so in this example because i'm fairly sure now mm. it could be completely off we might be in a conversation we had where he said oh, i wish it was one of these but i think it's an austin 7 special okay which what's the difference what's well, so the austin 7 special looked like i'll show you in a second sorry everyone who's listening sam turned away from the microphone then and spoke very quietly Did and it? i could see that ah, you probably okay. wouldn't have heard what he said <laughs> so the austin 7 special is well it looks nothing like the other one so that's an Austin 7 special. I'll just quickly show you. Yeah. Right. But on the Google, how many are left? Oh, yeah. Here, mister, there are thousands of them. Of an Austin 7, yeah. there are 2,300 left. I actually an saw... An Austin 7 special, only 865 left. So at that point, is it worth the story? Oh, well, this is the question. 865 are left. Can we assume that half of them are in non-driving condition yeah so they're either in a garage or in a museum somewhere yeah i actually funny enough i i'm almost positive i saw an austin 7 at the british motor museum a week ago okay i'm pretty sure was it a special or was it just a i can't remember 
Right, and okay, do you know so. what? Annoyingly, I don't think I took a picture of it because it was um, it was in a small sort of part just off to itself talking about the Austin 7. I don't think. Because there was an MGB that had been cut in half. That you right, look okay. Well, I was, well, you spent most of your time there. I, I, guess, I was so. over there. And then there was um, a VXR8 that I was very interested in. But that, we'll do we that in should, another podcast. I think in the new year, we should actually get where we're it on. It is the new year, Sam. Okay, so... well. <laughs> For us, it's not. And people know that we we record a couple of weeks early. So I think when we get to where you guys are now, we should get Will in over the next few weeks. Because I think he'd really enjoy talking about... We could have a classics episode where he talked about stuff and he would argue the point of many things with you. And I think he'd enjoy it. For example, when you just said there was an MGB cut in half, Mm. he didn't spit in feathers about why it was cut in half. Because why have they cut it in half? Uh, They've cut it in half because they can. They cut quite a few vehicles in half. Yeah, why? Because that could be a car that's still on the road. So the problem you have is, uh, this goes back to economics, it's supply and demand. Let's say you've got a million vehicles that are classic, uh, of, of varying um, cars, and the marketplace is 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. Well, 900,000 of those cars are currently without a home. And so you have to do something with them. Yeah. And unfortunately for them, it, it's a lot like, for some to, for some to survive, some will die, the, of, the, of the old Land Rovers. So you bought three really old Defenders. You could, okay, if you had enough money and time, restore all three of them to perfect condition. You could buy a new chassis for them, put, you know, get body panels uh, restored, everything else, weld up everything that needs, completely go over the engine, job done. The trouble is, at the end of that, you'd have probably spent tens of thousands on each, of which you may only get a fifth back. Right. Whereas if you put all three into one mm-hmm. and you don't have to spend as much, the marketplace dictates the price on them. So let's say it's cost you £15,000 between these three to put them together to make one good car and you can sell it for twenty. Then you'll have restorers that come in and say, oh, that's worth my time and effort. The problem for a lot of restorers, and I do feel for classic car restorers, they do get a bit caught up in their own passion project. And a lot of the time when you see them go to auction, they've spent a lot more than they get back. And it is still a business. Yeah, that's if you're doing it as a business, though. Uh, yeah, but I think that this is, the, this, this is my original point. Is Say, for example... They go, come full circle. Here we have. With the original Mini, for example, uh, let's say there's a million that are out there. Because, I mean, they were a mass-produced I'll vehicle. tell you. Okay, great. Google yeah. has a Sam, thing. Sam will get, so it's the Mini Classic. You're looking yeah, at, yeah. Sam, yeah? Um, let's say there's a million... I just thought of a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> if from that million you've got a marketplace of, there'll be some people that are really keen to own one, and there will be other people that are really keen to own one and actually have the space or you know ability to to pay and and keep it in a garage somewhere, drive it on a sunny summer's day, and they don't mind the idea of having a vehicle just to drive for thirty forty days a year. Yeah. What's, that? What's your numbers? The results are in. What do you think? Of the classic Mini, yeah, half a million still on the road, still registered ar- around the world. Um, oh, hang on. I thought I had the number, but I oh, clicked on the wrong thing because <laughs> there's loads, so many different. It said how many original Minis are there? Yeah, and it said there's a grand total of two hundred and thirty-four thousand. What? That's as in left, or that was how many were produced? Left, apparently. Okay. Let's let's go from but, that figure. Yeah, so that's that's a quarter of a million. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably right. But... 
the question is is there a quarter of a million homes that want a classic mini sat restored no, and that is willing not. to pay i don't know what what i mean minis probably could be cheaper to restore they're smaller um oh, you can work on them better as well can't you you can yeah and because they're so light you know you don't need really hefty equipment well to, you stick it in your shed yeah exactly yeah <laughs> and a lot of people do and that's why they ended up all rotten because then the shed <laughs> and rots divorced and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a story of a guy who built what did he build i think it was um it was either a car or a motorbike in his kitchen and he started yeah. off just like on the on the table. Yeah, I think I know this is going because it was going to be the point I was going to bring up next. But go carry on. on. <laughs> no, go on, Sam. Was it that they finished the project and then it was stuck and they couldn't get it out of the house? Yeah, that's removed the wall. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I read and a then... story about someone with a car. They started building it in their front room on the table. Yeah, and then they kept adding to it. They got divorced. Obviously. Yeah, I was going to say their <laughs> wife left them during yeah. this time, and then they had a car in their front room, but they couldn't get it out. <laughs> yeah, so they had to knock through the wall, and then a crane had to lift it over <laughs> yeah. the house. I mean. Can you imagine, like, someone's wife starting out, looking at the table, and there's a few sort of bits of metal on there. Yeah, and it, or and a it, block. Yeah, and, <laughs> and their husband's just putting it together and going, what are you doing? Oh, I've just got to put these few bits together. I thought it's bring got it, to be inside. It, it's cold outside. Yeah. I thought I'd start doing it here. You'd be like, oh, okay. that's annoying. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, a few days later, there's a, a chassis leg attached to this thing. You're like, yeah. what's going on? Well, it's still freezing outside. I'm not sure it's going to fit through the door now, John. Yes, exactly. That would be the start of that conversation, <laughs> wouldn't it? Would that fit through oh, the door? stupid no, Doreen. It's me- fine. It, yeah, I've measured it. It will go out. Before you know it, there's a drive shaft. <laughs> and then there's body panels getting delivered. Yeah, and there's and a couple of seats that this you have This won't to... <laughs> get out. No, no. I've, I've found one of these jigs that you can put it on and you can turn it sideways and it'll go out the door. Yeah. And then... The jig won't get through the front door. <laughs> but... Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Right, what I've learned is I've, we can take all the windows out and move it that way. And then before you know it, she's gone, I've had enough of this left. And then he's realised, can't get out of this room. Yeah. <laughs> I've gone too far now. Yeah. But uh, see, for me, from when I worked in classic cars and sort of doing the photography, doing the writing about them, I can say that with quite a lot of confidence, there were a lot of projects there that um, were not worth it, basically. Yeah, but basically, people have spent a lot of money on them, and if you're doing it for sentimental reasons, that's fine. Because sentiment, people spend money on sentimental stuff of all types. Yeah. So whether it's a car, whether it's a bit of furniture, whatever, it has a reason, and it you don't care about your return. No, exactly. You're spending your money on it because it has a meaning to you, and even mm-hmm. if it's, it doesn't have to be a family thing. It could have been, you know, when you were five, that was the car you saw, and you always wanted one. Yeah. And you can't get hold of a good one. And so you find one that is what you want. And um, you just go and buy it and you say, I don't care if it's going to cost me 50000 to fix and it'll only be worth twenty. I want that car. Yeah. But that's you know, one end of the market. And it's not a huge end because there's not that many people that are sort of saying, I want to make a... Well, I don't, I don't know if they start out realising they're going to make a massive financial mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um. But on the other side, people who sort of say, I'd like to restore it, you know, tune it up, take it for a few summer drives, and then move it on. Mm-hmm. They're probably a little bit more sensitive to spending a lot more than it's worth. Yeah. And I think what happens with a lot of classics now is people hear the word classic, they assume it's worth the moon, and get a little bit caught up in thinking that it will always be worth such a huge amount of money. And it will always go up. And they're getting a little bit caught out. And the reason I'm saying this is just because I do think it's a good place to park money. 
if people are sort of saying, oh, the whole market's, you know, this, that, and the other, um, the old sort of car enthusiast thing is, well, drive your bank account. You know, buy an old Porsche. Yeah. Drive that around. The 996. 996 Porsche, there you go. Uh, it wouldn't cost you that much today. Hopefully in 10 years it would have appreciated a little bit in value. And well, because people realise it's the best looking one. People all come around to Sam's way of thinking. They will. Because he'll, he'll be running the uh, committee that decides what can drive on the road. Yeah. And Sam, right, so we've got just This EVs, is when I'm in government, Sam. you see. Yes, exactly. It'll be, uh, at the minute, Sam, it's just EVs and buses. No, no, we can need to scrap yeah, but all of that. No, no, don't uh, scrap them. You can drive Porsche 996s or you can use a bicycle. Well, that's exactly it. You don't scrap the electric car. You let people keep them. Okay. If you want to drive the old-fashioned petrol automobiles, it yeah. has to be a 996 Porsche. Has to be. Yeah. <laughs> you watch my car appreciate tenfold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'd be one of those. Do you know what? I'm pretty sure that's what government do. They just they just have something. Yeah, like, I know. Oh, I've got a house in the Cotswolds. I'd really like to double its value. Um, banned new houses being built in the Cotswolds. Yeah. Oh, my house is doubled in value. Well, also, I've just found in my granddad's old shed mm. is his old push cylinder mower. It's not got an engine. Really? It's a cylinder mower yeah. with a roller. That you push to cut your grass. So when so you say it's a cylinder when, mower, when I bring that in, <laughs> how, what sort of condition is this thing in? Uh, it's not I'm in great. To, it's not in amazing I'm condition. But I am going to go and nick it and take it back to my house. <laughs> yes. I'm trying to think <laughs> and of restore it. When that would like what what dates that would have been produced? Like how old? Oh, the last time be? it would have been used yeah. would have been early two thousands. And when would it have if been? That. When would it have been made? Do you think? Oh Christ knows. 70s, I'll have a look. Well, I have, have a proper look. But I'm going to restore that, and then I shall bring into force a rule that you cannot use petrol lawnmowers anymore, and then that would be worth millions as well. Well, you also have to buy an electric lawnmowers. Well, that's fine. <laughs> for, for I'm e- going to bring this country back to its former glory. <laughs> uh, t- towards the end of this podcast, we're, we're getting towards the end, we should say, I actually do think one of the things that we have kind of missed in the whole big step to have more things, which is ultimately what a lot of people do, buy more mm-hmm. stuff, We've missed that we would probably help out our own economy more rather than other nations' economies. If we said, we've probably got enough things, why don't we uh, have a huge industry in the UK? And, you know, if you listen in the US or Australia or whatever else, in your own, where or Poland. Or Poland. Which, oh, where uh, the bulk of our listeners come uh, from. Barbados. We were, we were number three or something in Barbados for automotive Mental. the week. So, if you're in Barbados, yeah. <laughs> Where, Lucky you. <laughs> where you say, okay, if we've got something old, you can have like a, a half price government discount if you take it to a home restorer. Yeah. So, i.e., your old cylinder mower, you know, there would be a guy in your village and he just restores old tools. And instead, because obviously his label will cost a lot more than just buying a brand new thing in mm-hmm. like China or some other nation that has a different currency to ours yeah so you go in and he says to restore this mower it's going to be 250 quid just just spitballing a number it may be a lot more it may be a lot less and then you can go to the government and say you know how i pay tax and you're saying we need to be green and at the minute you're throwing all my tax money in this direction could you pay half for an old mower to be rebuilt that will probably what do you reckon a cylinder mower would last for 400 years <laughs> yeah, if it was I built mean, if it was built in this country back in like yeah. the eighties, seventies, sixties, yeah, if you just 50, restored yes. it every fifty years, <laughs> that mower's probably Victorian. <laughs> it probably got handed down to him by his dad. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that Morris thinking, oh, is the king back? Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the funny thing is, like, I've currently got, we've talked about, we'll do a video of it at some point. I've yep. got a broken lawnmower in my garage yeah, yeah, and a spare engine really that I was going to change. If I get this mower back and I can get it working, as in if it cuts okay, mm. I'll use that to cut my lawn. Hundred percent. I'll use that every week just to be cut my lawn, isn't it? And I'll just be pushing it. Yeah. But there'll be no need for petrol. So there's there'll no be... energy. Yeah. Like there's no electricity. There's no noise no... pollution either. No, that's a good point. Like that, I would genuinely, I would, I would use it. It'd be, and it's more time-consuming for me, but it's something I enjoy using. Yeah. Well, this is but, a lot like restoring you know, and it, and it won't be it? like properly nice stripes because I'm not sure if it. I said it's got a roller, but I'm not sure. I haven't looked at it. But I would use it. How did they used to do? Just a, a small insight into Sam's. Uh, well, I imagine it would have had a roller on the back. How did they used to do this sort of stuff 50 years ago? Like, you know what you do? Yeah. Would It, uh, it would have been more manual tools. Would Could you have got the same tools. result? Yeah, probably. Do you think Not you... as good. Like, the pitches wouldn't have been in as good condition as they are now. Okay. And is that because of the tool? Yeah. Or is that just... Like... But they'd still be in good condition, because all the stuff that we use that is petrol-powered now, they had to just have manual versions of. Right, yeah, okay. I see what you're saying. So that people yeah. worked a lot harder, but we know people used to work a lot harder. That's well, why they lived to the age of seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why at age you started working you at two. <laughs> like, you know, you'd really yeah. worked, yeah. Um, no, it just, it's just an interesting point, actually, thinking about a lot of these old manual things. And yeah. I, 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 I should put on my flat cap and I should go outside and mow my yes. grass with my manual powered. And when your wife says, Do you want some lemonade? Oh, no, I should be done in four hours. Yes, I should have a cup of tea. Should bring out tea on a tray with some business. Yes. But no, I do think, I think when it comes to old classic cars, I say I met some people that had restored certain vehicles for a reason mm -hmm. and they didn't care that they were going to lose money. I think the, the big question for a lot of people is, you know, let's say you've got an old vehicle that you've owned for 20 years. Yeah. And it's been sat out the front and you've been looking at it and maybe you were 40 when you got it and now you've just retired and you think, I'm going to restore that. Now, if it's your passion project, of course, restore it. Because you must have owned... If you've owned it for 20 years, it's probably for a reason. Yeah. If you're out there at the minute in the market and you're saying, I want to make some money by saving old cars, which is a you know a very noble cause to mm -hmm. sort of save some of these old cars that would otherwise end up in a scrap heap. I think you have to be a bit careful because... If you're looking at sort of mass-produced vehicles, which, you know, once you get 60s, 70s onwards, yeah, there was a lot more mass production of cars. And you end up with one that is not in as good of shape as another. Yeah. And you have to put in a lot more money. And if, unless, as I say, unless you're doing it because that particular one means something to you, I think the, the market, as I see it, doesn't quite have a big enough base no where like every single mini for example that gets restored will be wanted for tens of thousands because hey people haven't got the budget if you were saying to a 25 year old today oh uh would you really like to drive an old car now like, oh yeah i would quite like that. are they like 500 quid oh no a restored one's 25 grand well they haven't got 25 grand for a brand new car so one that's just going to be driven <laughs> yeah. for 20 days a year <laughs> um but on the flip side we do need to keep you know, new generations more and more interested in older cars, current cars, because I think they're, they're we're moving very quickly towards a tech era for cars. You own it, you throw it away. You own it, you throw it away. Yeah, and that's not, you know, <laughs> phones. That's bad enough. 
But if you turns a phone up like a thousand, you get a modern vehicle. And it's just gonna have to have like a whole continent just for disused rubbish that we yeah. don't use anymore. <laughs> but of course it all goes under the thing of recycling, which is which is great if as long as it's being recycled. But yeah. You know. Again, an old mini right now, and I'm gonna keep using that as an example. I should use an old MGB as an example. Yes. But if you were at a point where you had two and you said that one on the right, it's too far gone. What you would do right now is you would take it to a crusher. Mm-hmm. You would take, obviously, all the bits off of it that you thought you could salvage, but yeah. the rest of it, you take it to a crusher who would remove the oil, the coolant, and the battery, um, and any, if it had, like, diff oil or things like that. And then it would be crushed, and what would be left? Glass, yeah. which, can, which can be recycled. It's energy-intensive, but it can be recycled. Metal. Mm-hmm. And some rubber. Yeah. And a few bits of plastic, which are probably more challenging to... to yeah. But <laughs> I sort of just think of that. I got in a few old MGVs when I was um, doing the classic car stuff. They had wooden steering wheels. So even the okay. steering wheel yeah. can... <laughs> yeah, recycle that. Yeah. So it just... Um, I think there is definitely a case for restoring stuff. I just think people have to be maybe a little bit careful. I think that's fair. Yeah. I, I just... Questions come up a few times to me now. Oh, you know... What about these? What about these? And it's like, yeah, like if you've got a good one and you don't do it for an investment. But no. then I'm also aware that when you say that to people, it's a bit of a turn off. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, should I spend my money on this? Well, as long as you don't mind losing all that money, there aren't that many people <laughs> that are sort of like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm really keen to lose <laughs> yeah. all that money. You know, <laughs> So it's sort of a bit more of a, a middle warning um, to it. And yeah, as Sam restores his mowers, we'll... Um, bring you updates and do a few videos i think because okay that's a well i think it'd be interesting for a lot of people yeah, especially I'm happy especially um if it really is sort of manual stuff I, I really do wonder if you can actually still buy though those manual type you know that cylinder thing you're talking about yeah i'm sure you can but like a new one that that's made to last no it won't be made to last no because it'd be plastic would it it'd be a plastic body on it metal cylinder. is that a health and safety thing or is that just the cheap? no it's just cheapest isn't it yeah you can buy push cylinder mowers still it's like the standard cheapest thing you can buy isn't it it's just a cylinder but it wouldn't be made here would it? i mean it wouldn't be like some guy in the shed no, in no. leicestershire oh, no. or something no, I wouldn't have thought so. know, no. on mondays he does lawn mowers Tuesdays, and it won't be finely balanced and stuff it'll just be the cheapest thing they can get right do you think you but do you think you could actually i mean i suppose there'll be some one person somewhere who's probably sure have a look yeah i'd be really interested to know because what we'll find is there'll be one guy and he'll be in, where will he be? Arkansas? Right. Ohio. Yeah. You know, somewhere, uh, the, the highlands of Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, some far-flung part of the world uh, and he'll be there right now with a file. Just, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he would have started with a block of metal. Yes, yeah, it's just slowly <laughs> making a cylinder so out Someone's like, oh, how's that cylinder mower going? Oh, about six months, that one will be done. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, once they finish with that, as I say, 400 years from now, as long as it's been kept... And It'll still be working. Through, yeah. That's the whole podcast, Sam, for today. Very Anything good. you would like to add? As always, no. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to try and get a pen out of Sam. I hope you all have a good week, and we shall catch you in the next one. Yeah, we shall see you then. Yeah.